Everybody online, uh, thanks for joining us as well. And uh, I, I got to tell you that, um, I mean, I can, I can show you my notes, but he used about four words or phrases that are exactly here. I actually looked up, I googled the word deconstruction this morning. It's the truth. And because uh, and I, I hear people talking about it more and more. And, and I thought, I got, I got to know what they're talking about here. And uh, so I, th- I thought I would look it up. And I thought it might have something to do, do with what I'm talking about today. And, um, well, for grins, do you want to know what it says that says it means or whatever? I don't know. I mean, I never do this stuff. But anyway, we'll throw it out there. It says it's to deconstruct uh, is to, to analyze... Uh, typically, in order to expose something's hidden internal assumptions. So you analyze something with the intent to find, does it have these hidden assumptions? Anybody here ever make an assumption? <laughs> there's, a, there's a saying about assumptions. Do you know what? It makes a... Okay, all right. It's Sunday morning, so give me a break, all right? It's like... Uh, <laughs> Um, it says, so you're, you're looking for assumptions and contradictions. I mean, last Sunday, if, if you were here when I was doing the message on buzzwords and blind spots, um, I made this comment, like the Bible is a commentary on itself. So it's always correcting itself. It's always showing what the other people... So the idea that it has uniformity is, is silly. Um, and it says, and subvert its apparent significance or unity, right? So, in other words, I looked at another one that says it's to take something apart in order to reveal its composition, exposing its biases. That's the word we talked about last week. But here's, here's what I was trying to get to. Um, to analyze something is to slow down. I, really, I just really appreciated the music this morning. I hope you did too. But here's, this is why. And, and this is today is a part of a series that we, we want to take our family on together up through Easter. I hope you'll be a part of it. Everybody just close your eyes for a minute. And in your mind right now, I want you to picture, I'm, I'm going to look because I'm cheating, but in your mind, I want you to picture the most loving person in your life. It's an aunt a grandma, a mom, a spouse, somebody. Somebody's coming to your mind. The most, the most loving person that you encountered in your life. Now, I want to look. You stay with your eyes closed, visualizing that person. How many here was a relative? Was a relative? Put your hand up. Okay. How many here it was a parent? How many was a grandparent or an aunt? Wow. All right, now look up here. Open your eyes. Here's the thing I want you to think about. When you visualize that person, they aren't perfect, right? But you visualize somebody that just had so much empathy towards you, so much understanding towards you, so much goodwill towards you. All they wanted for you was good, good, good. It didn't mean that 100% you got your own way no matter what you did. That's not what I'm talking about. You just knew. It's, you sensed it. How many of you ever been around somebody and you just sensed their goodness? You sensed that they were good towards you. They didn't have an old... Now, 
if, if we closed our eyes again, we won't, but you could visualize people that did not have your best interests. That sometimes they were loving and sometimes they weren't. Sometimes they were good towards you and sometimes they had their own agenda. Sometimes you didn't know what the agenda was until eight months later. Paul wrote in his letter in Ephesians, Ephesians about the third chapter, that we were going to try to grasp, try to get our hands on, our minds around what what God is like, what his love for us is. So let me just read a couple verses here. I think they'll put it on the screen for you. He says, I'm praying that you who are rooted and established in love will have the power together with all of God's people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of God in Christ. He's like, I'm just praying that that somehow God would give you the ability to get a hold of, to grasp. Partly I understand the kickback that you hear out and about, and partly I don't get it at all. But we are trying to paint this picture that God is love, and in him there is no darkness at all. And it can be hard to grasp for some people that God is completely light and love and in him, he doesn't have any dark motive, any bad agenda. Okay, parents, aunts, uncles, whoever you are, right? You don't have to raise your hand here, but how many of you, 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 like, you believe in discipline, but you've ever, how many of you ever, like, you did it, but then you knew you were just angry? You know you're not supposed to, but you just, you were a couple of years voted anyway. Okay. It's like, uh, it, it, in other words, and so sometimes what happens is we understand that. Like we just, we're human. You know, we know we're not supposed to discipline and anger, which should be about the rules and we should calmly go, please go to your room for a timeout. <laughs> but sometimes that's not the place that it comes from, right? Even if it's the, even if it's the helpful thing, it's just, it just didn't come from there. Anybody? All right. So we get angry. So we figure God has to be angry and he has to punish and the, the line we've been told is he has to punish. He has to. So we projected on God that he has to be punishing. Why does he have to? Because he's holy. So you have to? Is there any other way? Is there any other option? Is there any other avenue? This is the question. What if God is unbelievably more loving than you've ever allowed yourself to imagine. Not loving, but, not loving, except, not loving, if. Next, Paul goes on to say, and he's to grasp, to try to get a hold of this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, there's a good sentence for you. How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? Isn't this exactly what he's talking about here? He's like, I can't, it doesn't fit in our brain. He's, I want you to know something that goes beyond knowledge. So it's sort of like something that you know here. This is the truth. I meet people all the time. They'll come into the church and they aren't church people. We got a lot of people that aren't church people here, right? And they get it. They get it like here. They don't know anywhere to go. Some guy told me the other day he was at a Bible study, and they turned to the Gospel of John, and the guy was like, can you help me? He was like, 
The guy's like, you never heard the Gospel of John? He goes, no. Talking to a friend the other day, I asked about the book of Job. <laughs> These things are funny and true. But they sort of, they don't know, but they know. And this is true. Then people come to me and say, I, I feel bad. I shouldn't. I go, look, you don't need to, you need to. So I pray that you, you know this love that surpasses knowledge. So what Paul was trying to say was a prayer. He's like, I just pray that you get it. And I told this person, I said, don't worry, you get it. You already get it. You're going to meet some people that think they got it, but you get it. And he goes, that you will be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And here's why this whole thing is important. Here's why it's important. Because we become what we worship, right? We become what we believe about God. We start to act that out. He says that you will be filled with that love. And if we aren't, we, it starts to affect us, and then we start to find ourselves. No, let me just talk for a little bit. If some of you are like, yeah, but, yes, but, yes, but, okay? I'm going to talk to you. You're like moving in your seat, right? Yeah, but you didn't. Okay, listen very carefully. I want to take the deconstruct word a little further, all right? If you come over to my house, in my kitchen, one of my buddies came over the other day, he was getting something in the sink, and he looks up, and the... The, the plaster by my window by the kitchen sink is just bubbling and the paint's peeling. He's like, dude, did you see what did you, what's going on with your house? And I'm like, oh, that's been there for a long time. The roof leaks. <laughs> I, I asked the guy who put the window in. The roof leaks. It runs down the side of the house. It enters in there, and I just get a little puddle every time it rains. It's no big deal. <laughs> just wipe it up, and every five years you repaint. It's not a... It's not You start thinking about, you know, man, I, I'm going to, I got to fix this house, right? And then I got to deconstruct. I got to tear the roof off. And I got to talk to people that are in the construction business. Like, oh, no, no, no. You don't, you don't want to remodel it. You want to what? Demolish it, right? You want to you you wrecking ball that thing. That's way too much work, right? So you're in, the, you're in the question of do I demolish it and start over, right? And everybody that's in construction except for... You get paid for remodeling. But everybody that's early in construction goes, oh, this thing's beyond, right? By the way, I can take you to my front room, which has this little bump out, kind of a little sitting room. I'm not really sure what it was, maybe a tea room back in the day. And the foundation, uh, the basement doesn't go out there. So the, whatever foundation they built there, basically what I'm trying to say is the room is falling off the house. <laughs> this is true. This is true. If you walk, you, it's, it's, it is falling off the house. Same thing, though. If you paint every year, you can't see the crack as the wall goes like this. It's just paint. If you put the furniture in the right spot, you don't quite notice the slope, but it's there. So this is true. So you have, you have options. I have to, I have to demol- uh, demolish this thing, or you would take it apart piece by piece. So I'm going to stretch the deconstruct thing a little bit. To deconstruct our... Childhood faith, faith that we grew up with, the thing that we learned, is so painstakingly slow and difficult. You're like taking the, it's like, 
take the, could I save this? Is this piece of wood good? Or we could save the toilets. These toilets aren't bad, and you got to put them somewhere. And you're looking at every piece. What can be saved? What can be tossed? Do yourself a solid favor sometime and read Richard Rohr's book called Falling Upward. I think it's in the bookstore, but he has a phrase in there about you, when you transcend, you include. So think about this. So if I want to build a new house, but I'm deconstructing, I'm looking at all the stuff that I can keep from the old house, and I'm going to take it with me. This is worth saving. This is worth keeping. So Paul was taking people on a journey. Jesus was taking people on a journey. Jesus criticized his own faith, but never left his own faith. Think about it. He deconstructed it, and he had to figure out, this is good, I'll take this with me. I'll take this with me. The same thing is true. It's a little more work. Trust me, the wrecking ball is way easier. And I've had a couple of wrecking ball sermons, I know. I still have shrapnel from it, right? And deconstructing is slower. It's more methodical. But here is the whole point of the entire exercise. This is what it's about. If you paint in your mind the picture that you had of that amazing aunt or that unbelievable grandma or, you know, I think in my mind, I mean, there's a lot of different images, so I wouldn't want to play favorites. But one of the people I think of is my, is, is my grandpa who's passed on. I, I never saw, and he wasn't perfect, I'm sure, but I never saw any dark, I never saw a dark side of him. We all have some little shade. But all I ever saw was love and goodness towards him. And I just, and then I think, God's at least, how many go? He's at least double that. So he says, I'm praying that you will be able to grasp, to somehow comprehend the thing that's almost incomprehensible. How deep and wide God's love is. Why the message? Why the message on stretching your mind further than it's ever been stretched before? For like two reasons. First, oddly, permission to ask questions. We didn't compare notes. But everybody has them. Everybody has questions. And they, but, but the thing that you're always telling me is this and this, and that everybody has a real airtight answer for everything. If I can just for a minute talk to people that don't believe or wonder if you believe. That's fine. It may not end where you want it to end to say there is nothing. But the season where the questions come are fine. And I want to just say something for the church family. We've, we've kind of made... A, 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 we sort of made a living on arguing and answering. Arguing and answering. Arguing and answering. I love the dig when Paul Young was here, he goes, it was a great dig on us. He goes, because he's Canadian, right? And he's, we called it a question and answer session with him. And he goes, oh yeah, I forgot in America, they're question and answer. The rest of the world, they're questions and responses, right? In America, we have what? Answers. We have answers. A lot of this is questions. There's more questions. Paul says earlier in Ephesians, he's like, I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around this mystery. But you never wrap your mind around the mystery. The mystery wraps you. 
It's bigger. It's beyond. And so this, this idea that God is far more loving, far more amazing. Listen, listen to me very carefully. If you read into the story that God is here to find your faults and to judge you, and then everything that you read in the Bible is you're going to shove into that paradigm. I'll give you just a, I'll give you a, a slice that I gave for our class the other night. If you came to our class on Jesus, you ever read the verse? Um, if you're reading the Sermon on the Mount and it says, "Wide is the road that leads to destruction," anybody ever heard this verse? Right? Wide is the road, and narrow is the path that leads to life. How many have ever heard this before? Now, how many of you grew up or heard this is what you heard or what you were taught? What you grew up with is a lot of people are going to hell. How many? And a few people are going to heaven. I mean, just put your hand. This is where you go. And guess who happens to be going to heaven? The people in this church. Right? You know, is it true? I mean, it's the people in this faith. It's the people in this belief system. It's the people that have prayed this prayer. It's the people that have finished this class. It's the people that have been baptized this way. Oh, it happens to be us. Lucky you, you landed in the right church, right? (laughs) Now, is this, again, if you read the big story that this is how God is and this is what he has to do, and then then you read that. Or you could read that Jesus was talking to people, that there were human beings he was talking to. Oh, and what was he saying? Well, they were dealing with things. And what were they dealing with? Wars, terrorism, true? Romans, how are we going to fight the Romans? These are all the things that they were dealing with. And they were divided about how to fight the Romans. They were divided. Some people said, we'll do this. Some people said, we'll do that. They, did, they didn't agree. Some people said, we should fight. We should stab them back. We should, shoot, you know, we, we should go to war with them. A lot of people were picking a path that Jesus said, I don't think you want to pick this path. This is not going to end well. Wide is the path that leads to what? Do yourself a solid, right? After you read the book, I recommend, and go to Israel, travel to Masada, go to the top of the mountain, and watch where the resistance movement died and people were slaughtered. Or just get in your history books and read or just Google 70 A.D. when the the Romans came in and completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem. What was Jesus talking about? The afterlife? No. He was talking about 30 years from now. He's like, you're going to die doing it this way. I got a different way, narrow. Fewer people are choosing the path of love and of peace and of life. Don't you see? It does depend what you start with as to how you start to read into every single thing that Jesus taught and meant. All of a sudden, you're free. All of a sudden, you're not scared of God. You can't wait to run to him. Like in the scripture, it says you call him Papa, Abba, Papa. How many grew up with a cool name for dads, like grandpas? Papa? Opa? What is it? Op- not Opa. That's a, Opa? Oh, yeah, Opa. 
The grandpa, there's an opa right there. They're these tender, these warm, and across all these language cultures, it's something to do with the, like a little babbling kid. Papa. And you just come to the lap. But the fear, anger, wrath makes you run, makes you hide, makes you afraid. Anybody ever project one of these onto God? I remember wrecking my dad's car. Anybody? Anybody did this exercise before? Coming home late at night. I mean, late, late, late at night, way too late. In fact, I, in fact here's, the, here's the truth. I, I didn't want to go home. I was trying to get back to my friend's house, right? And the car that I wrecked so bad wasn't going to make it there, right? So I went home, and I'm thinking, oh, man. Not, not that my dad was the guy out there with the belt or whatever, but I just was so scared. I, he was going to light me up. You know what I mean? And I was trying to sneak in. That's true story. I was trying to sneak back into my bedroom, and I had to go past his bedroom to get down to mine. And, you know, during the day, you don't hear how the floor squeaks, but in the middle of the night, like every step, right? And I think for so long... We've had this view. I've got to tell you the end of that story, by the way. My dad did wake up. <laughs> I didn't take my clothes off. I was too scared. By the time I got down there, I got in bed. <laughs> true, this is a true story, right? So he comes down, he turns the light on. And I'm like, uh-oh. You know, he knew right away. So, you know, my dad's like, so what happened? So I told him. And, you know, he goes, it's okay. It's all right. We'll get another one. He liked that car, by the way. He really, my dad liked his cars. It's okay. What did I have? I had a projection, didn't I? I projected, this is what he's going to be like. This is how I'm going to get treated, right? And, and by the way, I wasn't even from past experience. It was just a projection that I had. He's like, it's fine. Are you Okay. But I'm good. That was it. He never talked. He never even told me how. He didn't even. He, he didn't need to. He didn't even say no. But I do want to talk. He's just. How many know I got it? I got it all. I got it. What if God's love has this conquering power in your life, right? His love is this conquering power in your life to totally transform you, to make you into a person that he doesn't need any of the other past tools or tactics. Now, Paul goes on to write, let me just, verse 20, this is probably one that you've heard if you spent some time in church. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or what? Imagine. So one, listen, listen. Once you're settled in your mind at how loving God is, once you're settled that he is about love, that then Paul goes on and he says, it's, it, this is sort of like a doxology at the end. He's saying, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine by his power that is working within us. In other words, then you start to settle in and you start to know that because God is for me, not against me, that there is no limit to what he will not 
do. So here's the challenge over the next few weeks. Deconstruct. Right? Uh, deconstruct carefully. I, I, was, I, I don't know if this is exactly what Paul was talking about, but in, in 2 Corinthians 10, he talks about like demolishing. I'll, 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 I'll phrase him down a little bit to say deconstruct. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, says we, we are sort of demolishing arguments and pretensions. Remember we talked about assumptions? Pretensions. You ever met a pretentious person, anybody? Aren't they a riot? What's a pretentious person? That's the person that assumes they can come all the way into your house with their shoes on. Right? And that you like them on the coffee table. Right? Huh? Yeah, come on in. They're already there with the feet up, mud everywhere. Pretentious. So we, we got to fight against the people are projecting these pretensions on a guy. I'm going to tear these down. I'm going to deconstruct them so that something else can be built up in its place. Here's the bottom line. Ready? You want to know about my house? If I leave it there, it is going to fall in. It's just going to. Enough time, you don't fix the roof. And I, some, some of my carpenter buddies are going, yeah, that's actually true. You kind of need to fix the roof. Right. This is so important. The wrong ideas eventually, they just like a house of cards, they just fall in. But God's love will remain. It'll stand strong. And so when we're doing this, we're allowing for God by His Spirit to build something new in our mind and new in our heart to say, I'm going to cautiously let go of this. Last thing before the guys come to give some more music. Listen. One of the hard things about letting go of the past is that we're all mental hoarders. Think about this. Is you ever watch Hoarders, anybody? I can't watch. I've seen like half an episode, and I, I, can't, I can't watch that. But it's, we, this is, we, we mentally hoard. We hold on to things that we can't let go of. Anybody have a few, something you can't let go of? So this is important. As you take your journey of your faith, you're, there are going to be things that you're going to hold on to that are so dear, so vital. Right? You, 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 you're... you're, you're tearing down your old house and you go, I just want to keep the, I want to keep the old beams and put them in the new one. I want to keep the old hardwood floors. I want to keep the, there's so much that you keep along the way. And as you grow and as you go, there's so much that you learn to what? Let go of. But be careful that just for sentimental reasons, you don't hold on to something when it no longer has its value to you. Think about what I'm saying. The, the journey, when you're going into something new, can feel very frightening. Right? But that's human nature, to fear the future. 
close of this story. So we moved from one part of Flint out to Grand Blanc for a season. And my first day at school in Grand Blanc, my mom gets me ready to go. And I didn't want to go. Brand new school, young kid. Anybody been there? Your kid's been there? I don't want to go. I don't want to go. No, mom. I'm start crying. I'm hysterical, right? I'm hysterical crying. And my mom didn't have many options. She had to go to work. So it's like, no, we're not really going to discuss this. And I don't know if that's old school parenting or what. I don't know. But it was just like, you're going. Have a good one, right? And, and I was, she, you know, she still reminds me of it. She goes, you were, you were a mess. I went to school. By third hour, you know, had five or ten friends. By lunchtime, we were playing kickball, right? After school, I went off with my friend, my new friends, and we went all over the neighborhood. My mom comes home from work, and she can't find me. She's called the police. <laughs> he ran away. I know he ran away. He was so frantic in the morning, and I just, I don't know what happened to him. And, you know, I mean, a lot changes from first hour to sixth hour. What you fear, what you feared, right, wasn't so bad. And next thing you know, you got friends, and you're out playing, and you're out celebrating. As you're growing in your faith, this is so important. Sometimes it's going to be a crisis. It's going to cause you to say, I just can't hold on to this anymore. I need something new. But sometimes people, they fear, it's the fear. And what I want to tell you about fear is that don't be afraid. Because what you might step into might be the greatest celebration of your life. You might be out running around the neighborhood with your new friends, right? Instead, 